So give you a little context. I had intended to finish our series entitled Friends, Family, and Foes, um, teaching on Solomon, who's one of my heroes in Scripture. Um, not because he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, or three, I forget which it was. Like That is not why he's my hero. Um, I was really excited to teach on Solomon, but it's been an interesting week. I was in D.C. this week for the first time, and months ago I felt the Lord say, I am going to speak to you in the nation's capital. And so when I went, uh, I, I guess I had made up in my mind the direction I thought this was going to go and kind of the things the Lord was going to talk about. He didn't talk about any of that stuff. Um, and I did a, a prayer walk on Thursday morning before the sun came up, started on the steps where Dr. King gave one of the most significant speeches, uh, in my opinion, in human history. Um, not just before a million people, but before the, the earth. Uh, I, I stood on the steps where he delivered that speech, and then I walked down to the White House, through the, the mall, down to the White House, then up to the National Monument, then down the mall to the Capitol building. And I prayed the whole time, and, and it's, it's a, a little over two miles, I think. And I was struck by two things. One of them, I felt the Lord keep repeating the same sentence over and over and over again. And... Uh, I'm going to share it with the elders uh, and probably take a few months to pray about it. It, it wasn't about our church. It wasn't about me. It was actually, uh, I believe, about the nation. Um, and it's a calibrating word for us. But what I can share with you, the two things that really stood out to the little boy, as I'm making this walk uh, down the National Mall, and there are all of these huge buildings. I had never been to D.C., didn't know what to expect. I mean massive buildings that are designed to send the message that the people who work here are powerful. And the little boy, as he's walking, uh, in his opinion, getting to hold hands with the God of the universe, uh, it seemed like I was just walking down a, a, a mall of Towers of Babel. These structures built, and I'm not being political right now, I promise you, they're not all political buildings. But as I was walking down, it, it just, it, it hit me. Why as humans would we ever think we could build something that would make us an equal to God? Only God has all power in heaven and on earth. So that, that struck me. But the other thing, as I was touring the Capitol building, I got this really strong sense. And then I couldn't shake it for the rest of my time in D.C. that there was a massive spirit of division in operation. And if you, don't, if, if you uh, are new to the faith, if you grew up in a denomination that didn't really talk about spiritual warfare, Scripture is very clear. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the unseen realm. And Scripture says clearly, the weapons are, of our warfare are not carnal, in other words, fleshly, but mighty in God to tear down every stronghold. Uh, the blood of Jesus is a weapon. God's word is a weapon. And we don't wrestle mano y mano. This is the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And as I started to sense this really strong um, just war being waged by a lowercase s spirit of deception, as I came home, I felt the Lord start to speak about our church and the church, and that quite possibly our church, as well as the church, for some time now has been under assault by a lowercase s, spirit of division. This was not the message I intended to preach. I wanted to talk about my hero. It was eight points, and I was really excited to talk about it. But yesterday, I just, 
I felt the Lord keep just coming at this. My church is under attack. My church is under attack. And the enemy's scheme must be exposed. And if you've been here any amount of time, you know my job is to obey. Not to do what I want to do. I wanted to talk about Solomon. And the Lord didn't. And I've tried it before, talking about what I wanted to talk about, and it's the most miserable experience that you can experience in this spot right here. And so I, I, I pray that you hear God's heart for unity while getting a greater understanding of Satan's why behind dividing. And the title of this message is, The Devil Loves Division. He loves it. And I, I want to show you scripturally why. But before I read you John chapter 17, I want to re read you one verse. The words of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 17. Jesus said, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. I believe there are things God desires his church, and even more specifically, our church, to do in the days to come that are literally impossible if we don't walk in unity. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. I can't stand the team you root for. <laughs> and you hate even more so the team I root for. But those are what are called... No, I love that. That was good. No, I, did, I caught that. Don't think I, that, that didn't... Security is walking around to the back. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, those things there are called, called non-negotiables. Uh, negotiables. Then the non-negotiables, God's word, the blood of Jesus. I could go down a long list. The teams we root for are just my perspective and your perspective. Some of the things I do, you wouldn't do. Some of the things you do, I wouldn't do. But they're negotiable things. So I want to really be careful with this. This isn't what the message is about, but I'm experiencing this just a little bit. I feel like I am under attack by a really small group of people who are demonizing my getting on social media. And I'm not, I'm not speaking to them. That, that's called a bully pulpit. But I do believe the enemy is trying to do something. And I just want, to, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. Number one, you can at any time ask me any question. But just know, if there are things you'd rather talk about behind my back than ask to my face, that's gossip. I stand out here on purpose so you can come ask me any question you want. Why? So that even if we disagree, we can walk in unity because you can hear my perspective. And here's why. Listen, I wasn't on social media for a decade because the Lord said no. Do you think I ever thought there'd be a day where I would hear these words? I got on TikTok. <laughs> I can tell you no. And I've already been kicked off of TikTok. <laughs> I've been banned. <laughs> Apparently they don't like what I talk about, but I'm going to change what I talk about. They kicked me off. And I honestly believe it was the Lord reminding me, I don't bow to the things the world uses. But I'm not afraid to try and redeem them. And listen, as I get older, I'm getting more unapologetic in this way. I want to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth by any means necessary. So listen, 
Listen, I just, I just want to say, okay, you can ask me anything you want at any time. I also am not trying to build a monument to myself because the book I read tells me a story about a man named Absalom who built a statue to himself and I saw how that worked out. I don't want anything to do with statue building. But I do want to be a little bit like John the Baptist screaming at the top of my lungs, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And not going to apologize. I want the whole earth to hear that Jesus died so that you could become best friends with God. Okay? So just listen. I know that some, and I've said things about social media because I think it can be very dangerous. I've seen it not do good things in people's lives. And I've had to eat my words a little bit because of the way it's ministering to people. Listen, I just want the whole earth to be saved. And, and if stupid TikTok, and I'm sure Big Brother is listening to me say that right now, you know, they're, they're always listening in. Siri's like duly noted, he thinks. Listen, by any means necessary, as long as it honors God, okay? So part of this is just starting to understand and get more, a greater understanding of just how much Satan hates unity, okay? So, John 17, there's a moment where Jesus is praying, and he says to the Father, I'm praying for one thing. And when I read this years ago, it reminded me of a moment with Pastor Robert before he sent me out to plant this church. He said, Press, I, I want to tell you the one thing I'm praying for. And when he said it, it hit me some kind of way. I thought it was ridiculous, because I have like a thousand things on my prayer list. Now, for this message, it doesn't really matter the one thing he was praying for. What matters is, to him, he felt there was one thing that was more important than everything else. Jesus, in John chapter 17, is praying one thing to the Father. One thing. I want to show you what that one thing is. Imagine, out of all the things Jesus could have asked the Father for in this prayer, this was his one thing. Starting in verse 9 of John 17. Jesus says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world, and they are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Watch this next part, because listen, until 4.12 last night, I didn't know I was preaching this message. But when I read this passage and saw this phrase right here, I realized, I don't know how many times I've read John 17, I've never noticed this before. Jesus says, now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Why would the son pray to the father about unity and before he asked for unity, he asked for protection? Why? I'll give you my personal opinion. Because the enemy hates unity that much. And when the family of God sets itself on being unified, it's always going to bring on an attack of the enemy using division. Keep going. Verse 20, Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all, including Pillar Church, who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they all will be one, just as you and I are one. Wow, that's a high bar of unity. Our bar for unity is the unity between the Father and the Son. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, 
and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity, watch this, that the world, the whole world will know that the Father sent the Son and that you love them as much as you love me. What is going to show the world how much the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and how much the Father loves us the way he loves the Son? The unity of the family of God. This is why war has been declared on the family of God, using the tool of division. Three things I want to draw your attention to, to greater understand Satan's role in division. Number one, the devil is a deviant divider. The Greek word for devil is diabolos, which shares a root with the verb diabolain, which means to split. Preston, what is this message about and who is it for? Here's who, it for, who, who it's for. I believe that the church of God has been under attack for years now, possibly and probably since the beginning, but even more so in the day in which we live, in this manner. The enemy is trying to divide families. The enemy is trying to divide marriages. The enemy is trying to divide friends. The enemy is trying to divide the family of God. He's trying to divide on all fronts. Why? Because unity scares him that much. To the extent the enemy is afraid of unity, in the same measure, he divides. He's a deviant divider. One of the meanings for the, the term devil, it's not a name, it's a term. One of the, the meanings for it is penetrator. And the picture is, and we've all experienced this, Satan just starts poking around every area of your life trying to find where the gap in the armor is where he can penetrate, right? But the term also means one who splits, the splitter. He is a deviant divider. I think it's possible that when Satan saw the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and remember this, the Trinity is the epitome of unity. When Satan saw the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I think it's possible he was off to the side going, whoa, I see how unified y'all are. Well, let me let you know, if you're going to be known for unity, I'm going to be known for its opposite, division. And war was declared. He despises the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and their unity. Remember what Satan was doing in the garden. Everything he was doing was about division. He tried to divide Eve from the truth. He tried to divide Adam and Eve. He tried to divide man and God. Everything he was doing in the garden had the intent of dividing from the beginning. And it perpetuated. It continued on with Cain and Abel, the first murder, the children of Adam and Eve. Satan is a deviant divider, and one of the reasons is he hates the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even more so hates their unity, three in one. Second thing you need to understand, why is the devil a deviant divider? Because he understands a house divided cannot stand. That's how I started the message. Mark records it a little bit differently. The words of Jesus in Mark 3, 24 and 25. Jesus says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot 
stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So it doesn't just mean it falls. It means it has a 0% chance of standing. Because you can fall and get back up. But a house divided against itself, a family divided against itself, has a 0% chance of standing in unity together. They will fall and they cannot stand. Division has that kind of power if we don't come against it. Of course, the devil doesn't want the church of God to stand together because it's only when we're standing that we can step on his neck and crush him beneath our feet, which is part of the design of the church. And I'm concerned with the trend that we're seeing in the church today. Acts chapter 2 shows us a huge part of the reason for the explosion of the first church was unity. How can we experience and enjoy that kind of powerful unity, though, when we gather together as a family once every four to six weeks? I'm not trying to come at anybody. I'm just trying to remind all of us, what kind of marriage would I have if we only had a date night once every couple months? I fear we've become so comfortable with distance and division that we simply see worshiping together on the weekends as an unfortunate scheduling conflict in the midst of our all-too-busy schedules. The church planner's handbook would say, Preston, you can't talk to people like this. This, this will make people leave the church. Okay, first, I don't know who wrote the church planner's handbook. But it appears to me that sometimes the church planner's handbook is more focused on the flesh than on the spirit. How can the church of God see a move of his spirit if we play to the flesh all the time? Let me say it like this. We will know we have honored the Lord by being used by him. Remember, Jesus builds the church, but he loves to use us. We will know that we have honored him and what we have tried to obediently build being used by him to do so if the flesh is rarely comfortable here. <laughs> understand part of my job is to make your flesh miserable that's why sometimes i have no problem living in the tension of feeling like you're mad at me for a sec it's just your flesh the spirit never disagrees with the spirit i'm not saying i'm always right what i'm telling you is sometimes we just get a little bit riled up and it's the enemy pushing buttons how often do we step back and go what is the enemy? What is his involvement right now? What is his aim? What is his goal? And if I were the enemy, here's what I would try and do. I try and keep people separated from the family of God and the house of God and the presence of God as much as I possibly could. And here's one of the reasons why. Because if my generation lowers the bar, remember my grandparents' generation, they, they had Bible study before service then had service, then had Sunday night church, then had Wednesday night prayer meetings. Like these people were in church constantly, and now we're to my generation, and we're just hoping people show up once every four weeks. What's going to happen two generations from now if the bar gets even lower? This is what concerns me about lowering the bar of worshiping in the house of the Lord, whether it's here or wherever God calls you. We're teaching our children Worshiping with the family of God is a non-essential. 
Whereas mighty men and women of God said things like, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. I don't need this. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God as long as he's there than be anywhere else doing anything else on the earth. If only the pastors talk like that, the church is in trouble. It's the people of God who have to say, I was made for the things of God. I was made to be set in the family of God. And I will not allow myself to be pulled away from his family or his presence. Even if that means I don't let myself stay home and watch church in my PJs. I'm not coming to anybody that does that. Sometimes you just need to eat your cereal and worship the Lord every once in a while. But not every week. Just when you're sick. Well, person, sometimes I'm just really run down. All the more reason to run to the house of the Lord, to worship with the family of the Lord. Yeah. Satan hates this stuff. And if I were him, I'd do exactly what he's trying to do. Get everybody separated from one another. Here's point number two. And I'll, I'll explain this. At, at first, it's probably not going to make sense. If you're going to understand Satan and division, point number two, you have to understand that Satan hates his notes on unity. Part of his motivation for breaking up unity comes from his notes on unity. Let me explain something. Theologically, okay, <laughs> some of us think that Satan knows everything, that he's omniscient the way God is. Okay, Satan does not know everything. Everything Satan knows, he had to learn. He does not know everything about me, but he does know what he's learned about me. I believe Satan and his little dumb minions are the best note takers in all of history because they don't know everything, but they're fighting the one who does know everything. So they're always taking notes. Oh, this is how Preston handles stress. Duly noted. Oh, this is what Preston does when he's frustrated. Duly noted. Oh, this is how Preston talks when his buttons get pushed. Duly noted. Just taking notes. Remember, I'm not trying to give him too much credit. Scripture's clear, though. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. So I'm just trying to remind us all, this is actually war. What you see happening in Israel is not about dirt. It's about a kingdom. It's about the God who said, I'm going to display my love for all the earth through this nation right here. And I didn't choose them because they're better than anybody. I chose them because it wouldn't make sense to all of you. I knew they would turn their back on me. And I wanted my love to be displayed to the whole earth because you've all turned your back on me. And I love her anyways. This, this is war. It's not political. Satan is trying to divide and stop the kingdom from doing what it does. Now, let me show you his notes on unity very quickly. First thing, unity gets answers. Satan has in his little notebook he has seen firsthand unity among God's people gets answers. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, I tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Okay, don't, don't 
manipulate that and warp that into a name and then claim it. If two of us come together in the name of God, he'll do whatever we ask. That's not what this is saying. Jesus is not saying that. Okay, I don't have the time to go through all of that. But if two people, if two children of God come into agreement about something that is not of God, God will not do it. Okay, just, I gotta say that. I don't, I, I hate reading this verse and people being like, oh, all we gotta do is come together and just say, Lord, give us a mansion. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Keep going, verse 20. For where two or three gather together, most translations say, in my name, I am there among them. Why do you think there's such a wrestling match after some sermons when I have the prayer team come forward? Why do you think there's a wrestling match in your seat sometimes when you feel, I need to go up for prayer? But then you hear this voice. You can't go up for prayer. What will people think? What will people say? Here's how you know it's an attack on any and all of us because we're all hearing the same thing. That's not our voice. Why would the enemy ever try and stop you for coming forward for prayer and in agreement? Because he heard Jesus say, oh, when two come together in his name, in agreement, the father responds some kind of way. Keep them in their seats. Don't have them come forward for prayer. Only idiots do that. If I was your enemy, that's what I would try and do. Keep you distant from the power of prayer and the agreement with someone in the family of God. Satan has this in his notebook. He knows unity gets answers. That's why the devil is desperate to keep you from agreeing with anyone else. Second thing the enemy has in his little notebook, I believe, is that unity is more effective against its enemies. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two people are better off than one, Solomon says by the inspiration of the Spirit, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord or a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Alone is the easiest way to be attacked. Unified is the wisest way to bring an assault. This is part of what I talk about when I, when I used to do lots of weddings. I'd always use this passage. In the court of three strands, in, mar in a marital context, me, my spouse, and God. Satan, when he heard Solomon pen these words, I believe, wrote in his notebook, whoa, 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 whoa. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Duly noted. Keep them separate from God. Keep them separate from one another. Because he's trying to make his job easy. And if he can stop all of that, his job is easy. If Satan can divide the family of God, his job has been simplified. And the reason he does it is because Scripture is so clear on the power of the family of God being unified. Here's the next thing Satan has in his notebook. Unity drips, dues, and demands. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, 
running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I really do wish I had more time, but the first time I was on the Sea of Galilee on a boat, and I looked off in the distance and saw this very mountain, and it was snow-capped in a desert. And I had the thought, if you couldn't survive without water, how special would a snow-capped mountain be to you in the middle of a dry desert? It would be this special. It would be the difference between life and death. God goes on record and he says, Preston, I'll personalize it just like I always want you to. Preston, I need you to understand something. Here's how much I care about unity between you and the rest of my family. When you walk in it together, I demand a blessing be bestowed upon you. And with it comes the oil of heaven. This is a beautiful picture of Aaron being the first high priest. Oil is poured upon him to consecrate him for service. Where? In the house of the Lord. Unity among the family brings the oil of heaven. Question, how many of you believe that you're going to need an immeasurable amount of the oil of heaven, the anointing of God, to pull off the call of God on your life for the rest of your life? But it, I like that you, your hand just shot up right there. You are my kind of person. If you think you can pull the call of God on your life off without the oil of God, one of two things has to be true. You either think you are that awesome or you don't understand the scope of the call of God in your life. There is no such thing as a small call from God. Every child of God has a call from God, and every call from God is a God-sized call, and he does it on purpose so that we can't do it apart from him. <laughs> Preston, I, I just want more of the oil of heaven. Then why are you so comfortable walking in division? He goes on record and says, you want my oil? I command it be upon you. Let me say it the way I originally heard him say it. This, this is going to be one of those painful one-liners that you're going to wish you went to church somewhere else when you hear it. When you draw near to the most difficult person in your life, the one who sent his son to die for them draws even nearer to you. Let me read that again. When you, I get a picture of the person who frustrates you most in this life right now. Don't say their name out loud. You might be sitting next to them. <laughs> when you draw nearer to the most difficult person in your life, the one who sent his son to die for them draws even nearer to you. And here's what he brings with him. An anointing, his refreshing goodness, and his blessing. And he commands it right there. Preston, you want more of my oil in this season of your life? Going to have to have a zero-tolerance policy for division. Doesn't mean everybody's going to agree with me and I'm going to agree with everybody else. 
How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? We've got to remind ourselves what we actually agree upon, and it ain't football teams. It's the Son of God, the blood that was shed, the fact that our works don't get us to heaven, the finished work of the cross does when we receive what Jesus did for us. We have a lot to agree on. Then why are we bickering so much about non-essential things? I don't have the answer to that question, but I, I long for the day where we don't do it. I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about us. Here's the last thing I wanna show you before we move to point three that I think Satan has in his notes. If you've got a Bible, you can flip to Genesis 11. I think this is a doozy, doozy, doozy. Unity is unstoppable. I believe the enemy has this in his notebook on unity. Unity is unstoppable. Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel, starting in verse 1. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous, says the last, uh, those are the last words of the person who falls. This will make me famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, God said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Can you imagine if the church of God actually got clear on those words he spoke right there? Yes, those words were spoken in that day, but I believe they are words for this day. Preston, when my church comes together like this, when my family comes together like this, even in spite of their disagreements, when they come together in unity and agree on the essentials, nothing is impossible for them when I stand with them. If we want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, no social media platform, no TV channel, no network, no one thing is going to be that avenue. God himself will do it, but he's looking for a church that is unified, who says, here's what matters most. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole earth. Not go Cowboys. Not what I had for lunch yesterday. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole earth. And because he did, you can be best friends with the God of the universe. And Satan will do everything he can to stop that message. And one of the easiest ways for him to stop it is to divide us to split us up because he knows if he can divide us then easy things become impossible for us but if we unify around the cross Father, Son, and Holy Spirit listen God says for us, when I'm with you 
Nothing is impossible for a family like that. Satan has been taking very thorough notes on how God responds to and uses unity among his children. Every one of God's responses to and uses for unity create a nightmare scenario for the devil. Understanding this is crucial to understanding how motivated the devil is to divide us. That leads us to point number three, where we're not going to talk about the enemy. We're going to talk about, typically, our worst enemy, and that is ourselves. Point number three, unity demands our commitment. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. When you become content with distance from one another, you are making room for division between one another. Here's another way to say it, and I hope you never ever forget this truth. The devil owns all of the acreage between two divided people. Pastor, I'm just sick of how much territory the enemy has power over. Are you really that sick? when you don't hate division the way God does? Satan owns every square inch between two divided people. That should tick us all off. That's why he's trying to separate father from son. Mother from daughter, daughter from mother. Saints from saints. And he's ruthless as he does so. Anyone can come up with a reason to remain divided and distant, but it takes a commitment to come close and stay close. Preston, what kind of commitment are we talking about? A couple of things. First, if we're going to walk in unity together, I believe we're going to have to make a commitment not to judge. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to judge the person you're most frustrated with? (laughs) Am I the only one? It's so easy just to start judging the person you are most bothered by. A huge part of judging is you assuming you know the motive behind their behavior. That's called a critical spirit. A critical spirit will drive you away from others faster than any plane, train, or automobile ever could or would. Judgment is accurately measured by the distance between two people. The more distance you like to keep from them, the more judgments you're likely to have made of them. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you, Preston, will be judged. We judge others by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions. But I don't want to be judged by my actions or my intentions. You know what I'd love to be judged by? My best moments. Anybody else? If you're going to judge me, don't judge me by my low moments. Don't even judge me by my intentions. Just judge me by my best moments. But it's not a joke. Can you even imagine if we judge the people we were most frustrated with by their best moments? Here's what would happen. We draw closer to them rather than keep our distance from them. 
Here's the second thing we're going to have to do. We're going to have to be very quick to apologize and to forgive. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. I love how, how many passages in this message there are of Jesus' words. We don't need man's opinion. We need the words of Jesus. Jesus said, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Are, are you seeing the picture here? I'll personalize it. <laughs> it's like me going, trying to go into the presence of the Lord and I go in to our little secret special place and it's like his, his posture is like this. I'm like, what, what's going on? Oh, oh, Preston, things aren't going to be right between us until things aren't right between you and one of my children. Do we actually believe that? Or do we kind of adopt this narcissistic spirituality where God always agrees with us? Jesus says, hey, Here's how important unity is to the Father. Before you even step into his presence, if someone has something against you, go make that wrong right and then come in to the unbridled presence of God. <laughs> you know how many times I hear people say, I just don't feel like I can hear God's voice. I wonder if that might be one of the reasons why not. Because someone's gotten so comfortable with ought and distance between them and someone else that it's created distance between them and God. That's what Jesus is saying. This is how powerful unity, but also division, is. Notice I said apologize before I said forgive. That was on purpose. Too many of us are waiting to apologize until someone else asks for forgiveness first. Always endeavor to be the first to apologize and the first to forgive because it creates an atmosphere the devil despises and a relationship the devil fears. The best relationships involve the most forgiveness. Just ask Jesus. Sometimes I think we're so comfortable living under the blood of Christ being forgiven of all of our sin, that we forget just how ugly and despicable our sin really is. And so we forget the disgustingness of our sins, but we are constantly mindful of the disgustingness of everybody else's sins, especially the people who frustrate us the most. And here's the reality of the cross. He shed his blood for and on them too, not just for and on you, not just for and on me. Here's the last thing, and we'll wrap up and take communion together. If we're going to live under the unbridled flow of the oil of heaven as a result of an unwavering commitment to walk in unity, I believe we're going to have to make a commitment to see, appreciate, and celebrate one another. The reason you keep seeing the devil and the person you're distant from is you keep believing everything the devil says to you about them. Isn't it funny how conveniently religious Christians are? When Satan comes to tempt us, we respond like this. Get thee behind me, Satan. I'm being tempted right now. 
In Jesus' name, I rebuke thee. But when Satan comes to badmouth the person we are most frustrated with, we pull up a chair and sit at the table with him. The ouch hasn't even come yet. When we feel tempted, that's how we talk. But I believe the biggest open door for the devil in your life has less to do with your area of greatest temptation and more to do with the relationship in your life where you are experiencing the most frustration. I remember years ago, I was really, really, really frustrated with somebody. And I felt I had a right to be. And I was having time with the Lord, and I felt the Lord give me a picture of me and my firstborn son, Tyler. Tyler, uh, we've called him, Holly and I have called him this since he was born, my mini-me. Like he, from head to toe, the kid is like a mini-me, other than his hair is magnificent, and mine is non-existent. But other than that, we're same-same in a lot of ways, all the way down to his toes look identically like mine. He's just my mini-me. We process the same way. We tend to talk the same way. We lead the same way. Like, he's my mini Now, he is running past me. But there are some similarities. And I remember one day, the Lord going, Preston, you know how sometimes Tyler does something? He was young. He does things, and Holly will be like, oh. And you will look at the same thing and go, that's so sweet. The reason that's the case is because you're watching him do something you would have done. And so you're celebrating him doing something similarly to the way you do something because he has your DNA. Preston, this person you are so frustrated with right now to the point of anger bordering on hatred, that's my mini-me. They were made in my image too. And the way you feel about your little mini-me is infinitely lower and less than the way I feel about this person you are so bothered by. I am eternally in love with and obsessed by this person you're showing hatred towards. And I just want you to know, it's going to be Really difficult for things to be right between me and you until things aren't right between you and them. This is where we all wish we went to a different church. But not. Because here's the deal. We will know years from now that we did our best to give God everything he asked for in this church based on the number of deaths we all die in the years to come. If the flesh cannot be comfortable here, what that means is the flesh must all, always be dying here. Listen, Cupcake, and I say that respectfully. If you would have told me that at 45 years old, I'd be adopting someone else's child two years, less than two years away from being an empty nester, I'd have literally laughed and possibly spit in your face. But when your best friend asks you to do something, and it lines up with the start of a new church. In part, I think he's sending a message. If here is home, we're all about to die more than we ever thought we would have to. But if we do, 
His word is clear. Death always precedes the abundant life. But we will never get to experience the unbridled oil of heaven and the immeasurable favor of God if we remain content to have distance between one another.